And our second reading, our Gospel reading, comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him say and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away and give it water? And ought not this woman... This daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day. When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. I had never heard of the theology of disability until I went to seminary. I first heard the term in my second semester of systematic theology from my professor David Jensen as he introduced us to the work of Amos Young. He's actually a Pentecostal theologian who has written about this topic largely because he has a brother with Down syndrome. He became profoundly interested in the way his brother was perceived in the church, and this led him to search the scriptures for what they might say about people with disabilities. Not long after I took David Jensen's class, I got to know a young woman, Amy, who was studying for a Master of Arts in Theology. Amy was born with cerebral palsy. She uses a very high-tech wheelchair. She has no use of her lower body and limited movement in her hands and arms and neck. Because of modern technology, she was able to use a voice-activated computer, and she writes with a level of skill and sophistication that would challenge any graduate-level English major. Throughout her years in seminary, and now that she has graduated, Amy has worked tirelessly for disability rights in Texas. She advocates not only for accessibility to education and to the workplace, but also for dignity, for acceptance and recognition for people with different levels of ability. She also advocates for full recognition of people with disabilities 
within the church and for appropriate accommodations for their needs. The daughter of Abraham, whom Jesus lifted up, most likely suffered from scoliosis, a condition that is treated today during adolescence. My youngest daughter patiently and obediently, God bless her, wore a body brace from the age of 12 to 14 to correct her scoliosis. Otherwise, she may have been like the woman in our story today. Having no such treatments available, this daughter of Abraham felt that she was in the power of a spirit. I can imagine how that would have felt to her as she walked stooped and bent, her eyes turned to the earth instead of towards the eyes of others or towards the trees and the sky and the sun. It must have made sense to her and to those around her that some kind of spirit had taken hold of her body and deformed and disabled it in this way. She wants to be healed. It's important to point this out. Since we should not assume that every person who has what we would regard as a disability, not everyone wants to be rid of that condition. There are people in the deaf community, for example, who would not be without their deafness. It's such an important part of their identity. And some people with disabilities have been spiritually hurt by attempts to heal through overzealous faith healings. Some have been told that their faith in God's healing power is not strong enough and they just need to be better Christians in order to be healed. When I was a chaplain at Tampa General Hospital, I was called to the bedside of a young woman who was extremely sick and in a great deal of pain. She had been told by a hopefully well-intentioned relative that with prayer she could control her pain, that she should not accept pain medications. She needed much reassurance that God brings relief from suffering in many different ways, and that medical intervention was one of those ways she could faithfully and thankfully accept. While I would not want to say that healing cannot occur by faith, there have been many verifiable instances of such healings. Those who seek to deny people adequate treatment or to blame those with disabilities for lack of faith are not following God's desire that suffering be ended. God works through the hands of many different people and many different circumstances, certainly including the medical profession, to heal those who suffer. Also, healing and curing are two separate and different things. Relief from pain whether the pain is physical or spiritual, is a form of healing, even if the disabling condition continues. 
But this daughter of Abraham actively seeks healing from Jesus. She has come to be cured along with others, others who have heard of Jesus' power. Jesus notices her, calls her over, and simply tells her that she is set free from her ailment. He does not blame her. He does not speak of sin, though in other instances he does. He simply and beautifully lays his hands upon her, and she stands upright. She stands upright. A woman who has been been bent over for 18 years now rises up and sees the world and sees Jesus face to face. Imagine how that must feel. No longer to be turned away from people no longer stooped and surely in pain, released from the bondage of extreme deformity that was surely the way she was identified among people, now able to simply, if she wanted, be lost in the crowd, upright at last. I told you earlier that Amy has a high-tech wheelchair In her last months in seminary before she graduated in the same class as me, she got an even more high-tech model that could raise her to a standing position. As our final project for our senior capstone seminar, we each had to prepare a research paper on the spiritual aspects of a legislative issue and then preach a sermon based on our research. Amy preached a powerful sermon on the dignity of people with disabilities. And she did so at the pulpit from a standing position, held in place by her new device. It was utterly marvelous and moving to see Amy glowing with this new upright way of presenting herself in the world. For Jesus... It's all about dignity. When he heals, he restores people to their community. He heals legion, so he no longer has to live among the tombs. He heals the woman with the bleeding disorder, so she is no longer isolated and embarrassed. He restores a young man to his mother, so she can continue to live in dignity. This is the central point of disability theology. Those with disabilities must be included and valued as an essential part of the church. They must be regarded and treated with dignity. Indeed, Amos Young writes that they hold a special place in God's kingdom, allowing those of us who are fully abled to demonstrate God's love and hospitality. In fact, the measure of who we are as individuals and as God's people, as the church, is in how we treat the weaker ones among us. Do we welcome people of all ability levels? Are our buildings fully accessible? 
Do we respect and, in, and value their contributions to the life of the church? Jesus consistently paid special attention always to the least of these, to those who were on the outside, the margins of community life. Jesus showed that there is no shame in being disabled or wounded in some way. His own risen body showed the marks still of his brokenness. Jesus is God. He could have risen from the dead without a blemish. He chose rather to show the marks of his crucifixion wounds that bring him so much closer to us, closer to our own wounded natures. For we are all wounded in some way. We are all in need of Christ's healing touch. We carry with us both the physical and emotional hurts that life has inflicted on us. We lose loved ones through too early death or by estrangement. Beloved family members go through difficulties that leave us feeling utterly helpless, and we bear their wounds also. We have caused sorrow to others, and we bear the wounds of guilt and shame. Christ is with us as we face these challenges. Christ's love comforts, heals, sustains, and restores to us the strength and the dignity to face the world again, understanding a little more the pain of other travelers in this life. If you think about the span of our own lives, we are, most of us, on the road to becoming disabled. As we grow older, our abilities fail us. In later life, our vision or hearing may be impaired. We may need to walk with the help of a walker, or we may need to use a wheelchair. Almost certainly, we will depend to some extent on others to do the things we used to be able to do for ourselves. While this is not something that most of us look forward to, our disability allows others to be instruments of God's love in the world. Those who care for us and do the tasks of life we can no longer do are God's hands in this world, touching, caring, supporting, loving us, at a time when we so need to feel God's love. Indeed, it can be a blessing to others to be able to say, I am weak right now. I need your help. Such openness allows others to serve and welcomes their gracious healing touch. Above all, we must see the person with disability, truly see them. The leaders of the synagogue don't truly see those who are coming because they're too caught up 
in the finer points of the law. In this story, Jesus shows tremendous frustration with the leader of the synagogue who petulantly admonishes the crowd, come and be healed on the other six days of the week. In all likelihood, Jesus is stealing his thunder. Can you imagine if Jesus the Savior showed up at the church door this morning and I tried to get you all to come inside and hear me preach? Rightly, the world must stop when the Savior is among us. Those who refuse to listen to him in order to put forward their own agenda are lost indeed. But Jesus, Jesus sees those who seek his touch and he heals them. He sees everyone. He sees our woundedness, our limitations, our pain. Seeing us, he calls to us, calls us to him. When we come to Jesus to be healed, when we allow our own wounded selves to come to the surface, when we say, Lord, I am too weak or too broken to do this alone, Jesus breaks in. He offers healing to us all, whatever our hurt, whatever our brokenness may be. Jesus lays his healing hands upon our bowed head and raises us up to see face to face his boundless, never-changing love. Amen. Let us stand now and affirm our faith. Um, we are taking another section of the Belhar Confession, which for those of you who were here last week, we heard a little bit about, um, and we heard about its, its three parts, and uh, the second part is about reconciliation. We believe that God has entrusted the church with the message of reconciliation in and through Jesus Christ, that the church is called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that the church is called blessed because it is a peacemaker, that the church is witness both by word and deed to the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, that God's life-giving word and spirit has conquered the powers of sin and death, and therefore also of irreconciliation and hatred, bitterness and enmity, that God's life-giving word and spirit will enable the church to live in a new obedience which can open new possibilities of life for society and the world. Amen.